Well, yesterday I uh, had the opportunity, like a lot of others in my neighborhood, to go to the opening day of pool and, and uh, started working on the deep bronze tan I get uh, each year. I said last time that was not a joke. I don't know what everybody's laughing about. I just got to get all my freckles to blend together and I got a great tan. But... Uh, well, after we went to the pool, we came home and we were sitting in the living room and uh, watching um, the History Channel and watching some of the things going on, of course, in light of Memorial Day and this weekend. And we were watching a w, WW2 in HD, I, th- I think was the name of the, the program. And they, the, the particular part we were watching was uh, near the end of World War II in the, in the Eastern Theater in, in Germany. And as the soldiers were going into uh, Germany and Berlin and advancing and, and things were declining very quick for the Germans and, and, and as it was pretty imminent that they were gonna, that uh, Hitler would be surrendering, uh, as they got near, the, the German soldiers were just laying down their arms and, and surrendering in whole battalions. No, no fight, no effort. They wanted the war to be over. They didn't want to fight anymore. And uh, what, what happened next? I was just thinking about the, the sermon last week. As many of you know, we've been looking at the Ten Commandments. And last week we looked at, at do not murder. And we talked about a variety of things. One of those being a just war. And we talked about how unique and special the United States military, the American soldier is. And um, as, as these German soldiers were laying down their arms, many of them had not eaten in, in days. And uh, as these American soldiers came in and, and they surrendered, uh, they began feeding them. The, the soldiers were giving them their rations, their food for eating. They were giving them to the, to the German soldiers. And folks, as, as I was watching that, and of course I'm watching actual footage of this happening, uh, I mean, it just, it, it makes you realize the absolute uniqueness of the American warrior compared to any other warrior of any other nation, of of any other time in history, uh, there is a goodness about the United States. And there is a goodness about the American military that is just incredible to watch. Now, you hear me say that, right? I need you to hear me say that because where I'm going from here on out, you're going to think, who put the burr in his saddle? Uh, Folks, I love America. And America is a good, good place. But would you understand that as we talk about our goodness, that it's in relation to just other people. It's just in relation to other nations. And the standard is not other people. And the standard is not other nations. The standard is God. The standard is God and and His Word. And folks, the more you look at that, the more you understand that, the more you're overwhelmed by the fact that we here in the United States are are not actually good. We continue today in our our study of the Ten Commandments, and I'm looking a little bit different than some of the other messages. I'm looking at actually three commands today, seven, eight, and nine. They're all very simple. They're all very straightforward. They very simply say this, do not... Commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony against your neighbor. Kind of struggled this week in this passage at at trying to decide 
what direction did I want to go? How, how did I want to preach this? How did I, I want to communicate this information? And, and, and one, one direction I thought about was just trying to point out that the seriousness of God on these commands. And how these commands just come up over and over and over in Scripture. How important they are to God. If I'd have gone that route, I, I might have pointed out passages like these. Look at these passages on the screen here. In all three areas. First, looking at, at sexual immorality, sexual purity. First Thessalonians 4. For this is God's will for you. Now that's a big statement right there, isn't it? Aren't we always praying, man, what's God's will for me? What, what does God want for me? And truthfully, folks, anytime we open Scripture and read His Word, read a command, we're reading God's will for us. But that does kind of make it unique and special when it actually says, this is God's will for you. Your sanctification. That word means your holiness, your growth, the process of you becoming more and more like God. That's His will for you. Is that you're growing to be more like Him. That you're looking more and more like Him every single day. Now, as we think about the things we need to do so that that happens, or maybe we think about the things we don't want to happen in our lives, the things that are in the way of that growth and process, well, we could list all kinds of things, but the Scripture here pulls out one illustration, one thing. Now, just in the fact that it isolates it, it says something about the universality of this problem. The seriousness of this problem. This thing that is in the way of you and I becoming God-like. And that is what? Our sexual immorality. And that word for, for sexual immorality there in the Greek is the word pornea. And, and it is a, it's a large umbrella word. It, it's not a word that kind of points to one thing. It, it's a word that kind of oversees all sexual sins. Man, it, it is lust, it is pornography, it is sex before marriage, it is sex outside of marriage, it's homosexuality, it is all forms of sexual perversion. I mean, it, th this word encapsulates all of that. Every bit of it is in the way of you growing in God-likeness. He says, man, God's will is that you abstain from that. And that you know how to possess your own vessel in, in a holy way, in an honorable way, not with lustful desires like who? Like people who don't even know there's a God. That's what we're acting like in sexual immorality, like there is no God. Or 1 Corinthians 6, 9, do not be deceived, don't buy into the lie of the movies and TV and magazines. Don't be tricked by the culture that says this is okay and, and this is the way everyone is and it's all right. Don't be deceived by that because no sexually immoral people, idolaters, adulterers, male prostitutes, homosexuals, will inherit the kingdom of God. That's pretty straightforward, isn't it? If you're living and thinking in any other way, you are lying to yourself. You're being deceived. 1 Corinthians 6.18, same chapter, tells us how to respond to this. Flee! Flee sexual immorality! You know, the problem is, somewhere along about the age of 13, we start asking the question, how far is too far? I mean, how close to the edge here? How far up? I mean, just how close can I get and still be safe? Still be able to pull back? Say, I didn't sin. I didn't do anything wrong. 
Folks, God never draws a line like that. God never gives a model that says, how close can you get without sinning? God says, run the other way. Go as hard as you can the other direction. That's the way you handle this. How about stealing? Ephesians 4, the thief must no longer steal. Instead, he must do honest work with his own hands. Why? So that he has something to share. Well, I mean, folks, you know what? The Scripture does honor, and that's part of what stealing is about. It honors personal property rights. It values personal property. But that's not the driving motive behind not stealing. The life of somebody growing in God-likeness is the life of giving and serving and blessing. It's never a life of getting and taking and taking advantage of. Man, stealing makes you the complete opposite. Proverbs 11. Dishonest scales. Now folks, this is about business. Being dishonest in business, deceptive in business, not quite true, not presenting the product, not presenting the contract, not presenting how this is going to really work. All of that. What does it say? That's a strong word. We don't use that word a lot, do we? I, mean, most, I, don't, I don't say I detest. I detest, you know, Brussels sprouts. I might say I don't like them. I might say I hate them. I might go, Ugh. but I don't. I detest. That's a strong word, isn't it? That's what God says about people who are conducting business in a deceptive way. I detest that. I detest that. Or I might have nothing and steal. And you know what stealing does, don't you? It profanes the name of God. How about lying? There's that word again. Lying lips are detestable. God hates that. You know, folks, I think when we look at lying and stealing, we, we, we want to make that real big things that real bad people somewhere else do. I mean, that's not about us, is it? I mean, my lying and stealing is a little small ways. I tell little lies, not, not big lies. And stealing, that's about bank robbers, isn't it? You know, the armed robber in a bank. No, folks, any, any lie, any kind of lie, anything that's not the truth, anything that is meant to, 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 uh, to, to lead people in the wrong direction, to not quite be honest, to not... I hate that, is what God says. I hate that. A false witness will not go unpunished, and the one who utters lies will not escape. Look at Jesus' very strong words in John 8. You are of your father the devil. And that's not a very nice thing to say, is it? I mean, why would Jesus say that? Who would he be saying that to? You are of your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. When he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature because, he's the, because he is a liar and he is the father of liars. When, when you hear these passages, do you get a sense, man, this is a big deal to God. God's serious about these things. And did you notice in none of these things, did God break it down into any categories? Little sins, little lies, big lies. Oh, I really hate those lies, but that's no real consequence lie. No, lying, stealing, sexual immorality. These are serious deals to God. Another, another whole direction I could have gone with this message is just the opposite. Instead of looking at how serious it is to God, looking at how unserious it is to us. 
My, my concern in our culture is that these things we just looked at, they don't even really show up on our radar anymore. I, I, I'm not saying that we're sinning and, and, and we're just trying to justify it. I'm saying we don't even think of it as sin anymore. When I am genuinely, honestly bowing and praying and I'm saying, God, would you forgive me of my sins today? I'm, I'm sorry I was mean to that person. I'm sorry I, I did that. And, and we're, we're trying to confess our sins. Folks, I think there's things under the realm of lying and stealing we wouldn't even confess. We don't even really acknowledge it anymore. It's just not that big of a deal. Because we've, we've boiled it all down to these little sins that we do. Gosh, more and more couples today are... Are, are living together outside of the commitment of marriage before marriage. And even more than that, a much higher percentage of that, are engaged in a, in a sexual relationship before the commitment of marriage. And folks, some of these, maybe many of these, would call themselves believers. They would say, I am a Christian. And they don't even really recognize that what they're doing, God detests. God hates that. You and I are not only a part of a culture that is rapidly accepting and approving of, of homosexuality, we live in a culture that is rapidly recruiting into homosexuality our youth through entertainment and through education. This is a part of what we are. It's a part of what we're doing. 1988, that's a long time ago, isn't it? 22 years ago, 1988, Christianity Today... Uh, did a survey of their readers. Now, Christianity Day is a, a Christian magazine. They write you know, news articles. They write biblical issue articles. They do reviews of books. I mean, who, who's reading Christianity Today? I mean, you would tend to think a, a pretty engaged, a, a pretty involved Christian. In 1988, they did a survey of their readers, and 23% of their readers had committed adultery. 45, almost half their readers said, I've done something sexually inappropriate outside of my marriage. That, that's the readers of Christianity today. And folks, what would we point to today? What, what evidence would we use to suggest that today, 22 years later, those numbers would be anything but worse? We're not taking this very serious. We're believing the lie of our culture. What about lying and stealing? I mean, aren't, aren't those things? Well, everybody does that. And we might not say that about stealing because, again, we, we think of the bank robber. But you know, folks, using your company's postage for your personal letters, that is stealing, right? It may only be 42 cents, or it is still 42 cents, isn't it? It's, it's what? 44 Behind the time, I always let my company pay for my postage. Um, oh my gosh, did I say that loud? Uh, that's stealing, isn't it? And you know what? And I give that else. We know that. We know, yeah, by definition, that's stealing. But we do go to our companies and we use their postage and we use their long distance and, and, and we stock our pens and pencils at home with pens and pencils that the employer paid for. Folks, that's... That's called stealing. And you may say, yeah, but, but robbing a bank is way up here. Stealing a pencil is... It's stealing. God didn't give a scale that said this stealing is okay, this one's not. How about the government? Are we stealing from the government? 
Folks, I don't like taxes any more than the next person. I'll vote no against them every time I can. But whatever is legal at this moment, Jesus said, those are the taxes I am to pay. Jesus said that very directly. Pay your taxes. To do any less is stealing. Lying? Now that, that really is where we say, well, every, everybody lies. Now we're not saying that because we're giving permission to everybody to lie to us. We're saying that because it kind of justifies the fact I'm lying. Everybody lies. And statistics would say 90% of us lie every single week. Not 90% of us have lied at some point. Or I think I've told four lies, maybe. Three was before I was 18. I say, I'm lying, they saying that, aren't I? 90% of us lie every week. And so we absorb something like that and think, well, it must be okay. So, so we, we lie. And, and I don't even know we even recognize all the different ways we lie. I mean, you know, when you exaggerate the truth, it's the truth. You're just building it up a little bit. And that is a lie. That's a lie. That's dishonest. That's what God detests. Or how about gossiping? Now, gossiping in and of itself is a sin. But you can be gossiping. You can tell somebody something about somebody else and you can tell them the absolute truth. You didn't lie one bit in what you said. But you know what you just became? Kind of what Jesus talked about Satan being. You just became the father of lies. Because when that person repeats it, and they will, every person in this room has repeated a story that you heard about somebody from somebody else. And you may have heard the absolute truth, but do you know we do something funny. When we repeat it, you know what we do? We add an adjective. We add some adverbs. We add a little emotional umph that wasn't quite there. We interpret the story and we communicate our interpretation as it's a fact. Well, it is what happened. I know it. You don't know that as a fact. And so you are now lying. And when the person you told it to repeats it, guess what? You, the one who started all this with the truth, just became the father, the producer of a chain of lies. We, we lie. Now, G Jesus, when he said, you're a liar, you're of your father, who is the father of liars. I always wonder, what makes me a liar? I mean, is there like a threshold? If I lie five times a week, is it six that I become a liar? But under five, it just was a mistake. And you know, we can at least keep a tally. No, folks, a lie. Lying makes us a liar. And, and then we get all up in arms when our leaders lie and steal. <laughs> and, you know, we should get up in arms. But my gosh, folks, what do we expect? They're us. Our leaders are us. They're the product of us. They're the product of the same culture that you and I are a part of and feeding. This is stuff. Everything we're talking about here, this is stuff God hates. And I don't even, I don't even think it's registering. I think we go through the week, don't think about any of these things. A another direction I could go with this message is, is, is to look at the, the devastation that these sins are having in our lives. The devastation that these things are having in our culture. I mean, folks, we've said throughout this series that, that when God gives us these commands, it's for our good. He created the world. He created people. He created you and me. And, and He knows how this whole thing works. And He says, hey, if you want it to work, here's the instructions. You just follow the instructions. But we don't, do we? 
And when we step outside of God's instructions of one man and one woman inside the commitment of marriage, once we step outside of that, man, look at what starts falling apart. Sexually transmitted diseases, divorce, abortion, a host of relational issues and, and trust issues. Folks, all of this flowing out of the same thing. Lying and stealing. Man, look at the devastation that's having in our culture. You say, well, what devastation's having? Let me give you two words. Today's economy. Folks, everything going on right now in the last two years in the United States of America is because of generations of lying and stealing at the level of our government, at the level of business, and yes, at the level of the individual. And you go, I haven't played a big part. It doesn't matter what part or what size you played. We're all a part of it. America is today where it is because of every single one of us. We lie and we steal and we take care of us. This is the message. This is the motto in America. Everyone's getting theirs. I'm getting mine. And by the greed of the almighty dollar, we'll do whatever it takes. This isn't a very comfortable message. I actually don't enjoy preaching because I really do love America. And I really do think we're pretty good people. But what, am I, what are we measuring against when we talk about our goodness? Because folks, people who lie and steal are not good. That, that's not good. Let me tell you something. The White House is corrupt. Wall Street is corrupt. Business is corrupt. And yes, the family down there at Maine and Elm with the white picket fence and the golden retriever sitting on the patio is corrupt. There's no definition where you can say they aren't. It's not fun to say that. It's not fun to look at it that way. But folks, we can't fix anything in our own lives, in our family, certainly not in our culture, in our nation, if we don't start dealing with the truth. Lying and stealing does not make you a good person. Whatever level your lies and stealing and sexual immorality is on. Now as I look at these passages today, obviously I, I, I could have done each one of these commands in a sermon by itself. They, they certainly warrant that. We could understand more of what each of these are. We could certainly try to resensitize ourselves to all of the places we are being sexually immoral. All the places we are lying and stealing. And we could talk about how to handle that, how to respond to that in our lives. But here's the direction I did go. What if there was one guiding principle? What if there was one question that was constantly at work in my life? And if I could live by this one principle, if I could answer this one question rightly every single time, I would obey all of these commands. Because such a principle exists. Such a, a question is out there. Look at it, folks. Turn with me to, or you don't have to turn. Look on the, uh, look on the screen here. Romans chapter 13. Verse 8 says, do not owe anyone anything except to love one another. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. You have obeyed the law. You've done everything the law intended. 
The commandments, you know them. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet. And if there's any other commandment, and of course there is, there's lots of other commandments, they're all summed up, they're all completed, they're all fulfilled by this. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now the command there is not to love yourself. This command is coming out of the reality of how we all live. We all love ourselves. That means very simply defined, we are all acting in our best interest. Everything you did this past week had your best interest somewhere in mind. It it advanced you, it protected you, it provided for you. You do good by yourself. Even when we do things that hurt us, that was just an accident. I didn't intend to destroy myself. I didn't intend to make a mess out of things. Folks, everything we're doing is for our own good. And with that understanding, the Scripture says, just do that now for your neighbor. In the same way you're always thinking, would that be good for me? Would that work for me? Is that going to help me? Is that going to protect me? Start thinking that way about others. Love does no wrong, just as you would do no wrong to yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love, therefore, is the fulfillment of the law. What a very simple and powerful idea. And and think about that, folks. When when you're really loving somebody, there's a cleanness about it. There's a purity. There's a goodness. And you know what it is? It's faithful. You can trust it. Man, there's no betrayal in love. Isn't Isn't that what kind of command number seven is about? And when you're really loving, you're giving and you're serving and you're blessing, sometimes even at your own cost. Isn't that, that's what command number eight's about, isn't it? And truth, man, love and truth go hand in hand. How, how can you be loving and be hiding and be deceitful? See, folks, every one of these commands, every command in Scripture ultimately is about love. How I love God, how I love you, how I love others, how I love the people around me. And so I've got to train my mind, I've got to train my heart to be in in everything constantly thinking, is that loving? And, and, And what this Scripture is saying here is just turn it around. Would you feel loved? And so if if I was the employer, if I owned everything, everything in this office was bought with my resources and my money, would I feel loved, would I feel honored and appreciated if if you were using my stamps and my long distance for your personal benefit? I mean, in all honesty, no, I I probably wouldn't feel loved. Matter of fact, some bosses may say, I don't care. That's fine, but do you actually know that? Did you ask him, hey, can I use all this stuff you've purchased for my own benefit? And if he says, I don't care, then go ahead, by all means. But if it wouldn't make you feel loved, then don't do it to them. Is the way... No, let me rephrase that. If my mate... Would I feel loved if my mate was acting with somebody of the opposite sex the way I'm acting with somebody of the opposite sex? Would that that make me feel loved? If I saw them doing and, and handling themselves around a man or men in the way I handle myself around a woman or women, would that make me feel loved? If if the answer is no, then don't do that. Ever. Would I feel loved if what I'm trying to get somebody to believe They were doing that to me. 
I mean, see, folks, you can walk through every relationship, decisions every single day, and it just comes down to this. Is that the loving thing to do? Now, we've talked about government. We've talked about business. We might say, now, now wait a minute. You, you can't love a government. A government doesn't feel loved. A business doesn't feel loved. I work for a huge corporation. I mean, 5,000 employees. How, how are they going to feel loved if I always use their, st- their postage in an appropriate way? Well, folks, that's not really the issue. You see, the real bottom line, the real goal of all this is, is not whether or not there's adultery or stealing or lying. The real bottom line is I'm trying to be like God. The goal is to be like Him. And God doesn't have a different way of treating the individual and then another way to treat business and then another way to treat government. God is absolutely consistent in His character. He is consistent all the way through this. Whether He's dealing with an individual or a corporation, He is just, He is true, He is holy and right and good and kind. That's His character. It's who he is. Folks, your character is who you are all of the time. Not picking and choosing. It's who you are all of the time. You want your character to be one of love. You want your character to be like that of Jesus. And the really incredible news? When my character fails, when your character misses it, Christ paid for that. Every single time my character fails, He paid for it. Jesus loved me this week when I didn't love Him. Jesus loved you this week when you didn't love Him. Wait a minute, if you want to say that about yourself, that's fine, but who are you to say I didn't love God this week? Did you disobey on any point? Did you know that Jesus married obedience and love? Very simple statement, very profound, John 14, 15. Jesus said, if you love me, and we all say that, right? That's why we're here today. I love Jesus. If you love me, you will obey my commandments. If you love me, you'll obey my commandments. Folks, if I'm not obeying, if I don't care about obedience, if I'm not digging into God's word because I actually want to know what all of this means and how far I can go in obedience, not how far I can get away with something, how far I can go in obedience. If disobedience is bringing no conviction into my life, then it is impossible. I don't care what you sing and how loud you sing it. It's impossible to say you love God. Jesus said love and obedience go hand in hand. Are you loving Him? Are you loving others? And folks, when you take these three commands we've looked at today, and really it's true of about any command, you see, when I'm being sexually immoral on, on any of its levels, when I'm stealing on, on any level, when I am lying on any level, at that moment right there, there is one guiding principle. Me. When you, when I are doing those things, always, 100% of the time, 
Everything in that moment is all about me. It is nothing about somebody else and it is nothing about God. It is all about me. This is what benefits me. This is what makes me happy. This is what I want. This is what will protect me. This is what will advance me. The only guiding decision is sin is me. And at that moment, you and I are at our very most just like Satan. Folks, that's not good people. At that moment, we are as far from being like Jesus as we can possibly be. Now, living for me, following the path of Satan, it works sometimes. It'll make you happy sometimes. It'll get you what you want. It'll get you out of something you don't want sometimes, but always in the short run. Ultimately, at the end of the day, living for me will never, ever, ever lead you to where you want to be. And the real sad thing is some of us live an entire life and we don't realize it until everything is destroyed. Remember what Jesus said? The thief, Satan, comes to steal, kill, and destroy with everything he's luring you with with me it is to kill you to steal from you and to destroy you Jesus said I've come that you might have life and that life comes in loving God that life comes in loving others and you know what all these commands that we've been looking at, these ten great words, you know what they're all about? How to do that. How do I love God? How do I love others? Ah, oh, through, through purity. Through faithfulness. Through honesty. Through a constant character of giving. It's not always easy, but it'll always give you the life you want. Let's pray. Father, I would, I would think of starting a prayer like this by saying that we're mindful of how many times we've sinned against you, how many times we've broken these commands. And yet, Lord, I'm, I'm not sure we always are. Lord, we have all been sexually immoral in different ways. We've all lied. We've all stolen. Every one of these things has played a role in, in hurting us and hurting our families. It's played a role in producing a, a nation that is, is just being driven on immorality and violence and greed and a total self-centeredness. We're destroying ourselves, God, because we won't believe your word. We won't trust your instructions that sometimes are hard in the short run. Sometimes don't, don't seem to protect me or get me what I want in the short run. God, would you give us a faith that your word and your word alone works? Would you give us the discernment to all throughout the day be asking the question, is this the loving thing to do? Would I feel loved? Give us the discernment to continually be asking that question. The wisdom to answer it rightly and the, and the faith and the courage to do it. 
We need a change, God. Our nation needs to change. Let us realize the change of a nation starts in the change of the people of God. It starts in the church. Give us a sensitivity. Resensitize us, oh God, to the sin that's in our lives. And I thank you that as that happens, we don't have to live in guilt and darkness and failure, but we can cling to the feet of our Savior. We can cling to the cross and His blood that has cleansed us from all that sin, that has paid for every one of those sins so that I can enjoy knowing you. So that I can start afresh at loving you and people around me. God, I need your help. We need your help. We need it this week. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.